BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For those of you listening and watching, we're happy to be here with you today on a Wednesday, June 28th, all day long. Boy, where did the time go? By the end of the week, it's going to be July it feels like just yesterday we were watching Donald Trump get sworn in as 45th president of the United States of America. Folks, uh, you can follow along the show at BP Show. Watch us on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And, of course, I cannot host the show alone. I am but a mere baby adult man-child is the word I was looking for. Man-child. <laughs> Is the word I was looking for. The word I was looking for. So, I'm joined by my dear friend Jonathan Levy. Hello, Jonathan. It is a pleasure to be here, Peter. I had a hard time vomiting that phrase. You really out of, did. Yeah. You were a baby adult, man-child. baby adult man child. Well, it's uh, you I know, meant to say man child. You, you, you've spent the early morning reading Donald Trump's tweets. I have. So he's already up. Already tweeting. My brain is just devolving. Uh, uh, already melting the synapses. The uh, more I read his tweets, like, can you look? My, the, my brain no, no, is leaking trickling. out of my ears. It's trickling. Yeah. God, we have so much stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about it. But first, this Jamie Benson. is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this is it Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's not Friday yet. Feels like Friday. Every day mm. feels like Friday. Every day should feel like Friday. We'll begin with Sarah Palin, former vice presidential candidate. Remember her? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Do we have to? <laughs> she made some headlines yesterday because she is filing a defamation lawsuit against the New York Times. Uh, yeah, that's right. They said, sh- excuse me, she said that the New York Times published a statement about her in a recent editorial that, quote, uh, they knew to be false. Uh, it was filed in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. This relates to an editorial published on June 14th. This was the same day of the uh, congressional baseball shooting in Virginia. Uh, The editorial tried to link a uh, flyer that had gone out that was funded by Palin's PAC uh, with different Democratic lawmakers in crosshairs. Crosshairs. Uh, The Times did issue a correction saying that we can't reliably link the two, the crosshairs and what she's saying with the shooting here. However, Sarah Palin, not satisfied with that correction, she went ahead and filed a lawsuit yesterday. 
look, what the New York Times said is wrong. Yeah. She she did not cause the shooting of Gabby Gifford. No. Gabby Gifford says that a lot of things went into that that's gone wrong in our society. At the same time, Sarah Palin going after someone for inaccurate statements seems like a touch of a pot kettle situation. <laughs> yeah, <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> A little update on a story we did earlier this week involving John McEnroe and Serena Williams. Oh, boy. Two greats out of the tennis world sure. on Monday. One greater than the other. That's true. Yeah, that, is, clear. that is very true. On Monday morning, uh, excuse me, Sunday uh, morning on NPR, John McEnroe uh, said that Serena Williams is not the greatest athlete. She may be the greatest women's athlete, uh, but she wouldn't be able to beat the top 700 men in tennis, right? Yeah. Something she said. He had a chance to sort of help himself out last night on... Uh... Be- Betty took it. Yeah. Let, let me guess. He took the chance to <laughs> make, make it right. On, on Colbert, here's how it went. Uh, Colbert said, um, you said that uh, she's arguably the greatest athlete of the 100 years, the last 100 years in uh, 2015. McEnroe responded, she's certainly one of the greatest athletes of the last 100 years. Uh, he did not take the out. Colbert said, that was the lifeboat I was throwing you. Has... Not been able to take this one back, Johnny so. Mac. Come on, dude. I got into a pa- like a, a passionate argument with my friends in the group chat yesterday about this. I think that she's the greatest athlete of all time. I, I don't think she's the greatest athlete of all time, but I think she's probably the greatest tennis player alive. Uh, she's one of the greatest athletes of all time. She, sure, she won the Australian Open at age. 35 while pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's amazing. It's the dominance in her sport. She's dominated in her sport more than any other athlete. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am joined by Jonathan Levy, my dear friend, former producer on the show, and now a just a big brain on his own. <laughs> that's that's what my business cards say. Democratic strategist. Is that what we call you? Yeah, that yeah. works. But you are a democratic I, I, strategist. I am a Demo- You're like a legitimate democrat. I, I, I am wasn't a, trying to be flippant. No, I, I, I provide strategy to Democrats. Yeah. Um, it is a vague and overused category that I am proud to be a part of. Good. It's um, a good industry. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Peter. Uh, I have seen so little of you recently. <laughs> um, John- <laughs> Jonathan and I just spent with... With people, uh, with, we- with people, a weekend away, baby adults, baby adults. <laughs> I got a question. So, Jonathan, you know, you, when you were working on the show, you were pulling audio like I do every morning, yes. right? All right. So, in a the, much cruder fashion, a much, much cruder fashion, much more. You you use this TiVo box down here, right? Uh, is that the, is the double TiVo box still here? The same one. I got the TiVo box down here, right wow. here. Hey, so the I just dual found this, DVD burner. Just found this disc. Yeah, it looks like it says "burn this disc." Is there something uh, oh, maybe wow. people shouldn't see on this? I show? have no idea. That was that, that maybe the lost footage of Peter and I stuck <laughs> in a very small, very hot, very sweaty room together for hours on end. Yeah, things got things got intense. Well, now I know I can blackmail both of you. So thank you oh, for confessing. We're to that. both very proud of this. <laughs> uh, if, you, if, you, if you haven't met, there us, are certain corners of the internet where yeah. people pay good money to watch stuff like that. I, I plan on retiring on that disc. <laughs> Well, uh, look, it's, it, I'm thrilled to have Jonathan here uh, because especially today there is 
So much to talk about, and I know you're just dying to talk about with me. Well, it's a, again, you and I have spent so little time together uh, recently. Talking to you is exactly what I've been dreaming of. Okay, so we went off the grid uh, on the eastern. We went completely off. We the were grid. off the grid on the eastern shore of Maryland this past weekend. Yeah, um, we played croquet. Excuse me, we dominated. Yeah, croquet. we did. Our team. I played croquet. Twice we played two games. We played two games. I played croquet two times in my life, and I'm how many undefeated. Time, how many times you won, Peter? Two times. You know what's interesting about that? I've played cro- croquet twice in my life. How many times have you won? Twice. Undefeated. And I swear to God, I actually contributed almost a little bit to our team. <laughs> Jonathan turned into like the Bill Lambeer of croquet, where he was just like knocking people out. He became the enforcer. Sometimes. It was great. You were the enforcer on the first game. Have you ever and, played croquet, Jamie? Yeah, it's. Have you ever lost? So nonchalant. Have you ever won? Have you ever lost a game? Not that I can recall. Oh, oh wow. Well, a, a I, challenger. I, I, I see something uh, that may have to be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. And then yesterday we threw axes together. That's, yeah, we threw axes together. Some new content for our Patreon channel. Yeah. We just right. do a live stream of us playing. Of croquet. playing croquet. Yeah. Oh man, there are quarters of the internet that would really <laughs> pay for that. <laughs> All Are right. we opening the mail sack? <laughs> Do you have the mail sack? We should have two mail sacks today. If you have any mail that you'd like to send us, uh, well, first of all, follow us on Twitter, at BP Show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Peter Ogburn. You can follow Jonathan at probably the best Twitter handle, Wolf oh, yeah. Levy. Wolf Levy. Just my middle name and my last name. I, I love that your middle name is just Wolf. Uh, you know? I Wolf. actually don't know where to go with that. I was going to say, it's, it comes from something beautiful, Wolf. but like it's my mother's last name. Okay. She is something beautiful. She is something beautiful. She's a wonderful woman. And you can uh, follow Jamie on Twitter, at DC, which is where the majority of the mail sack uh, comes from. I, people so say. you've gotten me very excited this morning about a mail sack, yeah. or two mail sacks. Just, yeah, there are, we have a couple mail sacks. T- tell me more about these mail sacks. If Jamie gets any of his fan mail, which he gets from a very specific demographic, I'm guessing it's a demographic similar to me, the gayman, the 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 uh, bearish gayman, the bearish gayman. Yes, Jamie gets a lot of mail from the gayman. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's a very pretty twink. This is not the first time that you've said this on the show. This oh, is I not know. The first this time is... that somebody else has <laughs> brought you a twink on the show. Like I'm sensing a trend. Let's talk about the news really quickly. <laughs> Let's talk about the news really quickly. Because is Jamie giving a signal to wrap this yeah. section up? Uh, uh. My girlfriend's not happy with this. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to start, first of all, with health care, because all week and last week we were talking about the Senate health care bill, which is upon us, which we they now have. They're trying to get the votes for. They can't get the votes for. We were promised there was going to be a vote before the July 4th recess. And yesterday, Bitch McConnell had to come out and say, that they are not going to be able to make this happen. Here he is, Mitch McConnell. I had hoped, as you know, that we could have gotten to the floor this week, but we're not quite there. Uh, But I think we've got a really good chance of getting there. It'll just take us a a little bit longer. I I know that Mitch McConnell is a respected member of the Senate. He knows what he's doing. He's a savvy guy. And when I heard the news that they weren't going to be able to get this done in the way that he wanted to get done, the only thing I could say is, (laughs) <laughs> you suck <laughs> look look peter I, I i think when we talk about mitch mcconnell we have to acknowledge something here 
this country is great because of a lot of firsts. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have, have a lot of ugly things in our past, but we overcome them. You look at people like Jackie Robinson, sure. who have, uh, you know, broken barriers. Mitch McConnell yeah. may have messed up this health care bill so far pretty badly, but he is the first shellless turtle <laughs> to lead the U.S. Senate, and we have got to acknowledge that accomplishment. He's very brave. <laughs> He's very brave. He is. If nothing else, he's a brave no, Look, well, I, I want to talk about Mitch McConnell in a second, but first, did you see the Planned Parenthood protest outside the Senate yesterday? I did, for this? and uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't totally understand it because I haven't watched all of so uh, for, Hand- or any of Handmaid's Tale. The, uh, first of all, that's a, a damn shame. The I Handmaid's know. Tale is brilliant. For, for the folks that ha- didn't see it or don't know The Handmaid's Tale, it is it, Planned Parenthood had all these women in these handmaid's robes, which is, you know, the signifier of women who have been subjugated, lining up in front of the the Capitol. I thought it was an incredibly striking image. Can I uh, <clears throat> can I take your Hulu password? Yeah, can you can have it? my Hulu password. You can watch. you can join these 17 people who uh, currently share it. <laughs> nice. You you will all be very excited to know I've just up, uh, updated to the commercial list option. Oh, thank you. Yes, That's so, very uh, kind of you. So to to all my uh, orphan Hulu watchers. <laughs> Uh, no, look, M- Mitch McConnell is a craven monster. Um, he, he, <laughs> he's he is the worst of American politics. He is the worst of America, and I say that because he, is, what I've watched him do, he pioneered a new level of ugliness for how Congress worked. He, he when Obama was president. His sole mission, he stated it out loud. Yeah. He said the inside, you know, the, the inside the head thoughts outside and said our one job is to obstruct justice or, one, or justice uh, to obstruct uh, the president. The president. Our one job is to make sure he doesn't get a second term by any means necessary. No, the senator's one job is to help their constituents. But that wasn't what he focused on. We now know uh, we've heard rumors of it, but this blockbuster Washington Post story from last week went into detail how Mitch McConnell was briefed in depth on what Russia was doing in the election. And this was an attack on America by a foreign government. And Obama correctly, I think, said the only way we can put this out is bipartisan. We have to address this not as a political issue, but an American issue. Mm. And Mitch McConnell said, no, thanks. Go do it yourself, knowing full well that if he did, it would have just been right versus left. Yeah. It was an attack on the United States of America and on our democracy. And now he is trying to ram down this health uh, care bill that will kick millions and millions of people off their coverage, raise premiums through the roof for some of the weakest and most vulnerable among us. This man is a very evil turtle. (laughs) This man is a very evil turtle. Uh, But he's also savvy as hell. No, I mean, look, we talked about we've talked about this a lot, right? Like, I do kind of wish the Democrats had a Mitch McConnell, someone who the only thing that they care about, the only thing that Mitch McConnell cares about at all is protecting his majority and and, and, and protecting his party. That's it. Harry Harry Reid had more humanity to him, but Mm -hmm. he was he was a strategist of the same kind of level uh, uh, of uh, of Mitch McConnell. Right now, McConnell's unmatched and he's got a lot of power. And that's why I'm very worried about complacency with what we saw yesterday was great that they delayed the vote. But Mitch McConnell isn't Paul Ryan. No, I know. Look, that's the other thing. I'm happy that I saw this tiny L show up. Right. Right. But like it's going to come back. But this also gets to the same problem that we had, problem, but the same issue that they had 
with the House in that this is not the Democratic Party blocking any kind of legislation. This is not the Democratic Party shutting this down. They can't get Republican votes to vote for this repeal and replace bill. Right. The, the House finally made some ver- got some version through, but now they've got a real problem with that in the in the Senate. Ted Cruz and Mike Lee have said that they're not going to vote for it. They'll probably come around and vote the, for there it. There is no chance. Uh, there yeah. is no chance that Ted Cruz yeah. is going to be one of the reasons Obamacare stays. That's exactly intact. exactly. You could it, it you could will take never that happen. And Mike Lee does whatever his big buddy does. Exactly. Exactly. Rand Paul, who knows? He's a wild card. Rand, but, th- but then you have Rand Paul I actually think may and look, I do not want to put my eggs in the Rand Paul basket. No. But Rand Paul is a staunch enough true believer in his, you know, bat blank craziness. Sure. That I think he will stand. There's a very good chance he stands very firm against this bill, no matter what. Yeah. Because Rand Paul has seems to have dropped his belief that he can be president of the United States. The oh, only that's time, the only time you saw Rand Paul start to moderate and try to make sensible, quote unquote, sensible decisions politically was when he was revving up for sixteen. Yeah. That's over. That's done. That world, that bubble has been popped. So, but now, but you also, right, like now you've got these, I, I have a really hard time saying moderate Republicans because they're really not well, it's moderate. it's not a thing. They're not really moderate Republicans, but they're vulnerable. L- l- less fascist Republicans? <laughs> they're, they're vulnerable Republicans, right? Like, Well, emotionally, they're all very vulnerable <laughs> if you strip them down to their core. Aren't we all? Yeah. Aren't we all? Uh-huh. You've got Dean Heller, you got Susan Collins, you got Lisa Murkowski. Yesterday, did you see that uh, uh, Ben's ass, the guy from um, uh, where Ben is he Sass, from? Nebraska? Ben's ass. Isn't it Ben Sass? It's pronounced, it's actually, no, it's a weird pronunciation. It's Ben's ass, is how you pronounce oh, it. Oh, I thought it was Ben Sass. Ben's ass. You mean okay. the second. Is that not what I'm saying? <laughs> thought it, th- th- I think we're trying to say Sass. Ben's ass. Am I saying it wrong? I think I nailed it. But he's the cool conservative these days, the conservative with the heart of gold these days. He's also the second best-looking uh, Republican senator. After Chuck Grassley. because <laughs> yeah, he's not my cup of tea, Michael. <laughs> Wait, who's the first? Jeff Flake. Oh, man. Flake's a handsome man. He looks like he's a little fried, like he's been out in the sun a little too much. Yeah, just doing cool things. <laughs> <laughs> do cool things like building rafts, yeah. you know, like building rafts out of driftwood, you know. Yeah. You, you've seen make it to the waist with cut off jean shorts, just making things happen. You've been reading my uh, Jeff Flake, uh, Martin Heinrich uh, fanfic. <laughs> hmm. Didn't know I had a fan. So Ben's ass finally came out and said he's he's not thrilled with the bill, but he didn't say he's going to vote against it. So you've got all of these quote unquote moderate Republicans who aren't going for this health care bill. Yeah, no, look, but it's safe to not go for it right now. Right, but what are they going to – I guess you've got so many people torn in so many different directions. What are they going to do to fix it to get everybody uh, under the tent? You you are literally word for word saying what everybody said when the first time the House bill was dead. I know. And it was the – In my defense, I am very stupid. Yeah, (laughs) but very pretty. Um, (laughs) It's – you know, you have – this is what was said when the Freedom Caucus – was demanding one thing, and everyone said, well, the moderates won't take it if you, it gets pushed to the Freedom Caucus's direction. Yeah. The quote-unquote moderates folded like cheap lawn furniture yeah. with you know tiny patches over that made them feel better and gave them something they could say to their constituents to try to get yelled at less. Um, now, what I thought was interesting, Jerry Moran from Kansas, who was on nobody's radar, 
as c- coming out against this bill mm-hmm. came out yesterday against it. So the question remains, who else is sort of lingering out there? Um, you know, you have... It's uh, uh, a good question. You have Because there are some people who haven't really... Who haven't weighed haven't in. Stated. Uh, you have Capito, who stated after... Uh, the se- junior senator from West Virginia, Virginia yeah. who stated after Mitch McConnell pulled the bill that she was against it. She is really one of in one of the tightest spots of any of the Republicans because uh, for a few reasons um, first of all she uh, West Virginia will be hit h- harder than almost any other state by this monstrous Trump care bill um, the opioid pr- crisis is out of control there it is there is no way that um, uh, to give back the health insurance that so many will lose in that state. Um, she has also been faced with some of the more emotional protests from people. Uh, we've seen women bringing photographs of their children who have been who's who have only received cancer treatment because of the ACA, because mm-hmm. of Obamacare. Um, she also is one of the very few Republican senators who has a strong working relationship with a Democrat in her state, yeah. in terms of another Democratic senator, Manchin, who is, you know, love him or hate him, and I know a lot of the folks here dislike him because he is definitely not a progressive Democrat by any means, mm. but he is a guy who has been strongly against the ACA, and he has her ear, and he, from all indications, he's been working on it very hard, so she's one to watch. But more importantly than someone like Manchin is citizens continuing through this break to call in, show up at town halls, make sure that they are making their voices heard, sharing their stories. That's how we keep this from actually becoming law. Um, <clears throat> you left out one very, very, very important factor here, and that is the power of the big brain that rests between the ears of Donald John Trump, our president of the United States. Now, yesterday... It's the most beautiful brain. The best brain. Donald J. Trump. There he is. Yesterday, many he, have said he, sp- <laughs> he spoke about this health care bill. He goes, well, I, 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 he's so unbelievable to listen. Go, go ahead. This will be great if we get it done. And if we don't get it done, it's just going to be something that we're not going to like. And that's OK. And I understand that very well. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, that big breath he took at the end is like a yeah. You hear what you just, you hear what I just said? Very well. I love how he begins a sentence with no clear direction of where he's going to end. This will be, and just goes, baby. Just blue Great skies. If we it. get it done, and if we don't get it done, it's just going to be something that yeah. we're not going to like. Uh, I feel like this. Uh, well, uh, it's. Uh, the man has an incredible grasp on this issue. He, he, uh, well, Jonathan, I'm glad you mentioned that because he tweeted about this, which is the way he communicates, uh, beginning last night with zero Democrats to – I'm reading his tweets – with zero Democrats to help and a failed, expensive, and dangerous Obamacare as the Dems' legacy of the Republican senators are working hard. He then, moments later, says, I just finished a great meeting with the Republican senators concerning health care. They really want to get it right – Unlike O'Care. Mm. Now, there's a New York Times story by uh, sometimes guest of the show, Glenn Thrush. Yeah, it's uh, Glenn Thrush and Jonathan Martin. And Jonathan Martin. Line. Jonathan Martin doesn't do the show anymore. Um, then it's just by Glenn Thrush. Thank you very much. And they essentially lay out the fact that Donald Trump doesn't have one thought in his head 
that even comes close to understanding the complicated issue of health care in this country, much less like the bill that he has in front of him. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's worth reading this uh, section from their story. I would it, love it that. Is, while not surprising, it is horrifying. Yeah. Um, a senator who supports the bill left the meeting at the White House with a sense that the president did not have a grasp of some basic elements of the Senate plan and seemed especially confused when a moderate Republican complained that opponents of the bill would cast it as a massive tax break for the wealthy, according to an aide who received a detailed readout of the exchange. Mr. Trump said he planned to tackle tax reform later, <laughs> ignoring the repeal's tax implications, the staff member said. Because uh, he doesn't understand. He has no idea. He doesn't understand. So Trump, I'm sure, is going to respond in a moderate and measured tone to this story. Oh, Jonathan, I'm glad you mentioned that. 24 minutes ago, he tweeted, quote, Some of the fake news media likes to say that I am not totally engaged in health care. Wrong. I know the subject <laughs> well and want victory for U.S. I know the subject well? I think that's an incredible opening for industrious reporters out there that sounds like an invitation it's well i mean if he ever actually takes another question from a non-fox news uh host bot i wouldn't count on that he it's a perfect invitation and i i really hope every reporter seizes on it to say if sir you talked about how you know the issue well yeah please tell me what's in the bill elaborate please even even strip it down and just say sir what is Medicare? Yeah. What, how, sir, how does insurance work? Right. No. No. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you would get. He doesn't understand. He, he has no idea. And it, it, it's, it's amazing. Now, you know this story is true because he's yelling <laughs> about it. Right. At 6.30 in the morning, right. not being true. Um, this is, we, we were talking before the show. I, I just saw the movie Arrival. Um, spoiler alerts for those who haven't seen it. Um, you can, you know, earmuffs for a moment here. But in one, you know, one of the, the main points of the movie is figuring out an alien language yeah. that is completely, it, you know, written differently, processed differently, etc. Trump is like that alien for us. And when you so very good when you put together the Rosetta Stone of what he means, the second he calls something fake news, it's true. It almost a hundred percent means it is accurate. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I want to move off of the healthcare stuff because we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about that later on in the program. But on the fake news front, uh, the outrage du jour is CNN and their fake news story, as everybody on the, on the right wing is calling it, uh, a story that they wrote about the Trump-Russia connection uh, and, the tr and, a tr and a sort of the narrative building there that turned out to be not totally accurate, turned out to be pretty sloppily re reported and sloppily, sloppily edited. Yeah. And sloppily edited. Absolutely. Uh, and there were three editors and reporters for CNN who resigned slash were canned. Now, they even got into this yesterday at the White House press briefing. Uh, and Donald Trump is tw was tweeting constantly about this because Fox News was talking about it yesterday morning, so he has nothing else to base his you know news cycle on. Mm -hmm. uh, and just like, oh, this is proof that this is fake news, that the CNN is fake news. This is absolute proof. Um, here is Donald Trump from yesterday. Fake news CNN is looking at big management changes now that they got caught falsely pushing their phony Russia story. Ratings way down. So they caught fake news CNN cold. 
on and on and on about fake news CNN. Wow, CNN had to retract a big story on Russia with three employees forced to resign. What about all the other phony, phony stories they do? Fake news. Now, the point here that I'm trying to make is three people did sloppy work. Bad work. Bad work. Uh, uh, sloppy is maybe generous. They did a bad job. Correct. Right? Should they have been fired? Maybe. I, I mean, it, some people might argue that it's a little too harsh. I'm not necessarily arguing that it's too harsh. I could see getting fired for something that big of a screw-up, especially when the heat is on like it is. But the point is, the story was wrong, so people got fired for it. So this whole idea that they're pushing fake news constantly, the first piece of fake news that they, which isn't really fake news by definition, but it was a screw-up, the first time they screwed up and, and opened the door to that criticism of fake news, they got fired! Three of them. Three of them. Three well-respected. Sure. These were not low-level guys. Uh, look, I, I I do not make it a practice to praise CNN. No, I think not. they I, I think they have some not do fabulous that. reporters there. Yeah. Uh, we both have friends who work there. Yeah. But as a network, it's kind of a garbage fire. Sure. Um, but in this case, they have handled it absolutely properly. They got they corrected the record. They got rid of the people who did the bad reporting, and as a network, they have covered themselves. Yeah. And I don't mean covered their, you know, but butts. They co have covered them as reporters. Yeah. They've covered what has happened very accurately and pretty harshly. Fox News <sighs> sheds people left and right for horrendous things, and it's never mentioned. Yeah. I know. Hey, Jamie, I want to play that second clip from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was... Uh, at the podium yesterday for the press briefing where she talks about how mean the press is to the White House when they make a slight mistake. If we make the slightest mistake, the slightest word is off, it is uh, just an absolute tirade from a lot of people in this room. But news outlets get to go on day after day and cite unnamed sources, use uh, stories without sources. There's a big, big, big difference between knowingly going up in front of the American people and telling things that are 100% mm -hmm. not true and making a journalistic mistake. I, I, everybody, like, still, anytime that the Trump administration screws up and tells a lie and they go, oh, well, you, uh, look at what uh, that Time Magazine reporter said on the day of the inauguration that the MLK bust had been taken out of the Oval Office. Which was corrected. Almost um, immediately. Almost immediately and profoundly and profusely apologized for, and rightfully so. It was a goof, it was a screw-up, and it was one that was really bad. This is And was apologized over and over again. Has the White House ever apologized for the lies that they've put out? Never. Not once. Ne never once. This is unfortunately also part of the media's own doing. They have created an atmosphere yeah. of both-siderism right. in this country right. where equal weight is given to inequal, inequitable things. And it's just the world we live in right now. And the Trump administration understands that they can exploit this, that very few people follow it very closely. So, and they throw up their hands and say it's all the same. By the way, there's a really good piece on Think Progress right now by Laurel Raymond, who's been on this program before. She's oh, yeah. a great reporter over there at Think Progress. Sure. Which takes an equal look at what CNN did uh, after misreporting and what Fox News did after misreporting. We know what CNN did. Fox News, of course, that's referring to the Seth Rich story, right? Yeah. There was an error in the Seth Rich story. It stayed on their website, foxnews.com, for six days. 
No one resigned. Pushed no one got fired. And Sean, Sean Hannity maintained that he did not need to apologize right. for it. And let's, there wasn't an th- error in the th- Seth Rich story. It was an absolute falsehood designed to stir up controversy, to help the sitting president of the United States by distracting from the Russia probe, and actively hurt a family who had lost their son. Yeah. The Seth Rich thing compare is despicable. That, compare that to a, a a mistake made by CNN, and you tell me which is worse. 31 minutes past the hour. Not only uh, is the White House dealing with this health care bill, they're dealing with plenty of legal fires. <laughs> We're going to talk about those with Zoe Tillman. Uh, she is from BuzzFeed News. She'll be in studio with us here just after a very quick break. Peter Ogburn and Jonathan Levy sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be right back. Congratulations on your great victory. We have so many people from Ireland in this country. I know so many of them, too. I feel I know all of them. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Oh, by the way, Jonathan. Jonathan said that uh, Jeff Flake and Ben's ass were both the two most beautiful Republican senators. Yes. We had uh, Romaine, my friend Romaine, who is a gayman, mm-hmm. says that thumbs down. You're wrong. Yeah, who's. <laughs> What's his who's his submission? I'll have to ask him. He's tweeting at us at BP. Show. Is this just GOP senators? Oh yeah, just GOP senators. Just GOP senators. Yeah, the hottest. Yeah. I would absolutely- so you're not a Rubio guy because I I know he's got some. I'm a some I'm a Rubio streets. six years ago guy. <laughs> <laughs> let's, oh let's, sweetie, let, let's be honest. The Senate has not been good to that man's figure. Okay, let's uh, let's jump into some actual news. Although if you have comments, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show. We'd love to hear. Those about uh, you, you, know. you sound like you really do want to hear it. I do. I, uh, yeah, I genuinely do want to hear it. Uh, the 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 Trump White House is in a lot of. Oh, look, a real reporter. Yeah, a real room. reporter has appeared. Hi. Uh, <laughs> hi, everyone. Uh, that's Zoe Tillman. She's a reporter for BuzzFeed News. You can follow her on Twitter at Zoe Tillman. That's Tillman with two L's, right? Yep. Uh, you have covered a very fruitful beat here uh, in this Trump era. The sort of lawyering up and all the trials and things that are going on uh, within the White House. For, let's, there's so much to talk about, but I want to focus for a second on Jared Kushner. Don't we all? Because Stop it. <laughs> because I know that he, every time that there's like a scandal that comes up or some sort of new revelation with either Russia or any kind of shady deal, Kushner's name is always sort of in the mix. So Kushner recently got a lawyer. Which is very interesting. Not even a lawyer. He got a new lawyer. Okay. In addition to his current his cur- So he's got legal multiple team. lawyers. Multiple lawyers. As one and not, does. And not just a lawyer. The lawyer. Not just the lawyer. Two of the lawyers. Oh, man. So he's he's got quite a team. Um, yeah, and I should say, I mean, prefacing all of this, which is anytime you're a public official, an elected official, and you're facing any kind of investigation or any kind of involvement, it's very normal to lawyer up. Sure. There's a whole cadre of uh, white-collar defense lawyers in Washington, and this is what they do. They're there yeah. for you when you get a question from Congress or a subpoena from someone. 
that's what they they're there for. Can you walk us through all of the things that Jared Kushner potentially needs a lawyer for? <sighs> we have twenty minutes in the segment, <laughs> so I mean, you, we we have some time. It's a lot. I mean, to the extent that the special counsel team investigating Russian interference in the election and everything even tangentially related to that, to the extent they have any questions for Jared Kushner, he would want a lawyer there to vet what he's saying or if they're asking him for documents to be the liaison the the lawyers at the the Justice Department special counsel team to the extent that Congress has questions for him or wants him to come testify you would see you know Kushner if he went at the table and then his lawyers would be sitting right behind him and he would be you know leaning back and they'd be leaning forward to give advice that's also what they're there for um, so they're be- there to be props. <laughs> Uh, it's a very expensive prop. Yeah, right. yeah. It's a prop. <laughs> well, when you're a Kushner, you got money to throw around. But what are the, what are the issues that uh, he needs to lawyer up for? It's it's his relationships with VEB Bank, correct? It, again, it, it we don't know yet the scope of what the special counsel might be interested in with him. And when you really don't know, that's especially when you want to have someone in your corner who's there to help you contend with whatever they might come at you at mm-hmm. come at you with or want to know about or subpoena records for it's it's really but, up in the air but we do have some idea of what the parameters most likely will be that they're looking at right sure it, such as again it's it's really just hard to say we don't i don't want to it's hard we don't want to speculate what Mueller and his team might be looking at um what are some of the possibilities we, I'm, I'm trying He's to. A bulldog I'm trying guy. to get you to speculate. Yeah, guy. no, I won't. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we preface this by saying she's a real reporter. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, she doesn't get to just do that. Well, I like to wildly speculate. Uh, How about know, it? We, we we have seen a lot of uh, uh, every time something with Russia comes up, Kushner seems to be in the background. There, there are meetings with uh, people from VEB Bank, which is the Russian run bank, and I use the term bank loosely since they don't actually have a banking license or seem to really hold people's money other than the Russian governments. Um, and it's not a state, ba- you know, it's not the state bank. Um, he is keeps seeming to try to set up uh, meetings or back channels with folks brought up. All these things are potentially under the purview of it and why he needs lawyers. These are really serious lawyers though, that he's gotten here. I mean, Abby Lowell is one of the most well-known white-collar uh, criminal defense lawyers in the country. Yeah. I mean, I can't name very many. Yes, and, you know, he joins Kushner's first lawyer, Jamie Gorelick, who mm-hmm. is also one of the consummate insider Washington lawyer types. And granted, she was more of a Clinton ally. She worked in the Clinton Justice Department, but extraordinarily connected, um, knows how investigations work. So Abby brings the the criminal defense trial side. You know, he's an aggressive litigator. He brings that experience to it. But to the extent Kushner has to go before Congress or do anything else on a the behind-the-scenes investigations front, Gorelick brings that experience as well. They both know everyone. They've come into contact most likely with Mueller with other members of his team. They know the players. And that, again, sets them apart from the lawyers that the president brought on to his team. You know, Abby Lowell and the Jamie Gorelick are who you expect mm. people to go to for all of those reasons, that they know the game, they know the players, um, they're ready, they have a, a game plan because they've done it before.
Do we have any kind of timeline on what this um, special counsel is? Is none. We have none, right? Absolutely so, like, this none. could really, like, I, I talked to some people who think that, like, this could take like years. It could. The only timelines that are in place are um, the special counsel will have to update uh, his boss at the Justice Department, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, For on now. some interval. <laughs> That's yes. Um, you know, there there may come a time. I mean, he, Mueller has already briefed members of Congress on the status of the investigation, although those were closed meetings, those were not public. So there's a timeline in that he has to check in. But other than that, it's a freewheeling investigation that could go in any direction. We don't know. He's still staffing up. So they're still in the early stages still of building the team, let alone progressing in an investigation. I think that a lot of people got wrapped up in the whole fever of all this. Like, you know, you look at the Comey watch parties and you look at the the Mueller stuff, which is a big deal, and sort of had this assumption that we are moving in the right direction and things have been moving so quickly that I think a lot of people expect this to be wrapped up here. It 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 could really be a slog. No, this is I mean, this is wildly complicated. And yeah. it's we're, we're talking about most likely something that has to do in some form or fashion with money. Yeah. And when you, you look at who Mueller is bringing on to his team, and you've done extensive reporting onto it, it's folks, a lot of them are folks who spend a lot of time following very intricate banking yeah. patterns. Yes. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people that, that I've talked to sort of point out. It's the sort of the financial forensics of all this. This is where this is really going. Not to mention the obstruction of justice. Um, Donald Trump, last week, week before last, it's all a big blur of one, you know, waking night. I forget what happened yesterday. So. But he, he, I'm he, not sure who either of you are. He called this, uh, he called this a witch hunt. Um, it's important to remember that it's not uh, Democrats that are out on this witch. It's, it's it's his own Justice Department. I mean, this is the Donald Trump Justice Department that's seeing this through. So, um. Is he under investigation? Do we know that? Can we say that or do, can we not say that? This is where it gets tricky. The president, it might have been last week or a week and a half ago, tweeted, uh, I don't have the exact words, but it was, I am under investigation. This is a witch hunt. Right. But he says on Twitter, I am under investigation. He did say that. And so everyone, including us, wrote a story saying Trump just appeared to confirm that he is, in fact, under investigation and he's not walked that back his lawyers have come forward and said he actually wasn't confirming he was under investigation. He was referring to the Washington Post story that said he was under investigation. Um, but when pressed, they said that he was not going to walk back that tweet, that there was going to be no correction or clarification from the president. It was his lawyers coming back and saying, well, actually, that's not what he meant. But we've not seen the president retract what was an official statement yeah. from the president. I mean, we, we call it tweets, but these are public communications sure. from the president. And he has said with no qualifications, I am under investigation. And so that's what we're going with. Well, we have also both been told by other members of the administration separately that his tweets speak for themselves and never to put any faith in his tweets. <laughs> right. It's just 140 characters. Right. How do you as a reporter cover this? Because it's it's difficult. I mean, you are a by-the-book reporter. It is an official statement from the president, but it is also Twitter. And he is someone who does not go through the normal processes of an official statement. 
It's interesting. There's a someone has created. I don't know who. Uh, auto Twitter account that will take his tweets yeah. and put them yeah. into the format of an official statement from the White House. And it's always um, really interesting seeing them in that context out of Twitter, including the hashtags and the exclamation points. So, you know, there is a segment uh, uh, sentence fragments. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I think early on, (laughs) early on, you know, there was this sense that this is just Twitter. This is somehow separate. But as the administration has progressed and he's been making uh, policy pronouncements, nomination announcements via Twitter, I think increasingly we are treating them as official statements from the president, regardless of the medium that they're coming to us Mm -hmm. in. You know, this is him communicating to the public. And, you know, we would uh, check those statements as we would any other statement in whatever other format they might come to us in from the White House. But those are official. The tweet speaks for itself. Uh, I'm moving on. Uh, (laughs) On that note, right, you you have written about legal stuff for quite some time now. in terms of like an ongoing case, Donald Trump's tweets have already gotten him into some trouble with the the Muslim ban or the travel ban, whatever you want to call it. They've used his own words against him. He and definitely th- wants to call it a ban. Oh, he really wants to call it a ban. And like I look at like the situation now, like all of these different things are sort of brewing around him, but like he just will not stop talking about them. So how much trouble, I mean, those, those can hold up, right? I mean, those will come back to haunt him. Or maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they could. So far, way. you know, to the extent they've been cited in legal filings, courts have been treating them as statements by the president. They've not, I mean, they've noted the format that they've come in. But in the travel ban case, for instance, we've seen judges quote from his Twitter accounts. Yeah. And the fact that he's still tweeting about it after taking office has really uh, given a lot more fodder for the folks who are challenging the travel ban because they can say this isn't a candidate talking, this isn't a campaign, this isn't a political political maneuvering on social media. This is now the president in his official capacity communicating about matters that are under litigation. And he's talking about cases which lawyers usually will tell you not to do. Yeah, I mean, I I remember during the George W. Bush uh, administration, right? Like the Scott McClellan was the press secretary. You remember him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jump bucket. Yeah. Uh, He used to to come out all the time and just say, we don't comment on an ongoing investigation. We don't comment on an ongoing investigation. It's a running joke. Yeah, like every single thing. We don't comment about an ongoing investigation. Like, it's really not that hard to say, though. Yeah, but we don't know whether in the end it'll make a difference. The Supreme Court has said they're going to hear the travel ban case in the fall, and we'll see the extent to which they want to consider anything that he said outside the four corners of what he signed, which Mm -hmm. has been a a matter of contention in the lower courts, uh, whether judges should look at all beyond the text of the executive order to anything he said, whether it's relevant, whether it's, you know, legally permissible for judges to look at that. We just don't know. But we've seen lawyers for the challengers after the president has tweeted saying, great, keep it coming. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, you made a, a, a joke about Rod Rosenstein earlier about whether like how much longer he's going to be around. Um, what's the role he's playing these days? It's a very interesting sort of curious situation, right? Because they sort of threw him under the bus in the whole firing of James Comey thing. They put it on his shoulders. 
But then his move where he turned around and appointed Robert Mueller seemed to be a finger in the eye of the Trump administration. He He's a he's a pretty complicated guy, it seems like. And an incredibly powerful yeah, sure. person right mm-hmm. now, you know, with the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, recused from anything having to do with the 2016 campaign from the Russia investigation. That puts Rosenstein. Except for the firing of James Comey. There was that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah. But Rod Rosenstein is the person in charge of the special counsel investigation. And he was in charge of deciding whether to appoint a special counsel. You know, when he came up for his confirmation hearing, he wouldn't commit to doing that. Democrats really pressed him on that. And he said, it's just not appropriate for me to say yet what I would do. But there was so much pressure, especially after James Comey was fired, I think, for him to to make that move. And, you know, a lot of sources I talked to said that Bob Mueller was really one of maybe two people they could imagine doing this and being brought in and being taken seriously. So I think for the it sent a message out to the legal world that this is an investigation to be taken seriously because it's what they all thought would happen. So mm. he met expectations for what he was supposed what they thought he was supposed to do mm. in this circumstance. It's a, he's a fascinating character, I think. Just just like how this all plays out, I'm I'm dying to see how it how it happens. Um, by the way, uh, Zoe Tillman from BuzzFeed News is with us. Thank you for joining us. Jonathan is tweeting with Romaine during the show about hot GOP senators. I just want to. Uh, yeah, th- this is important stuff. He says Rubio and Cotton. Romaine says Rubio and Cotton. Uh, look, to each his own. Yeah, that's insane. But to <laughs> each his own. Okay. Uh, he also he gave Brian Schatz, uh, senator from Hawaii, his due, which I do not think he gets nearly enough of. Thank you for that update. <laughs> Thank you for that update. I swear I've been listening to all of our conversation here, though. Zoe says Democrats accuse. This is a, a headline from her recent story. Democrats accuse Republicans of trying to rush through Trump's judicial nominees. Uh, kind of a weird turn there how that happened, right? Because weren't uh, Republicans dragging their feet on some Democratic uh, appointees under the Obama administration? Yes, and I, sh- I mean, these the complaints from Democrats are not mutually exclusive, right? Mm. The, the overarching complaint from Democrats in the past three years has been that Republicans are playing games mm. with the lower courts and with judicial nominees. So when it was a Democratic president facing a Republican Senate, Democrats said that Republicans, you know, basically made it impossible for President Obama to put lower court judges on the bench in his final year or two in office. And now that there's a Republican president, Democrats say that the Republican Senate is, you know, breaking protocol. They're moving people through too quickly. They're not giving senators enough time to look at the background of the the lower court nominees that Trump is putting forward. Um, uh, I, have, ahead, I yeah. have a question on this. You may, may or may not know the answer to it. Um, I'm not sure anybody outside of the administration does. Who is you say Trump is putting forward these nominees? I think we all know that he's not personally involved in this. Who is driving this train? So when it comes to lower courts, it's really the home state senators mm-hmm. that are incredibly influential in putting putting people forward. So, you know, ultimately it is the president making the nomination, but the way this normally works, especially for your appeals court judges mm-hmm. who are, you know, very powerful, important judges, it's the the two home state senators saying to the White House this is our preferred person, or mm-hmm. these are our two preferred people. And traditionally, the White House has said, fine, unless there's been a real debate or they have someone in mind that they want. But there's a lot of deference 
at the White House to the preferences of the senators. Do here. we know in this White House who is actually the person or group of people who are saying that's fine or no, we have our own preference? Because I get the impression that there's very few people in the White House who do anything but run around giving anonymous sources and fighting with each other. Oh, I will say this is this is an area where the White House Counsel's Office has been uh, active mm-hmm. and involved and engaged. That was, you know, I think having a Supreme Court nominee at the get-go made it a, meant it was a priority for White House Counsel Don McGahn mm-hmm. to have people in place to deal with judicial nominees, and for the. The Federalist Society, which is an outside conservative legal advocacy group that was very involved in backing Trump during the campaign. The Federalist Society's uh, head, Leonard Leo, was an important advisor to Trump. And for them, lower court judges is a top priority. So I think maybe unlike some other policy areas, when it comes to the courts, they've actually been um, well-staffed, organized, and had plans in place pretty early on about how they were going to move on filling these, I think last check it was 133 lower court vacancies, which is something like 15 or 16, I'm not exactly sure, but roughly percentage of all active judgeships. Wow, it's a no. very large number of seats to fill. It also, you know, Hillary Clinton would have come into the presidency ready to fill those. Three. She was prepared to walk into that mm-hmm. role, right? And. Donald Trump just was not prepared to do it. I'm not necessarily trying to make a comment on on him as a president, although I'm happy to. But you've always kept your opinions on. Yeah, you know, I'm very very shy hidden. about this stuff. But they, I don't think they thought they were going to win. A lot of them didn't, and they didn't do as much preparing as as maybe another more serious candidate would have would have done. And so they're playing catch up on a lot of this stuff. They've had a. They've had plenty of time at this point to fill a lot of these vacancies. I mean, there are a lot of positions. Oh, across the federal government. Across the federal government. Yeah. No, hearing that they are professional and actually moving this properly is maybe the most surprising thing I've heard about this administration so far. It's not, you know, a failure that is shocking. It's it's actual competence. Well, I mean, if you look at what this administration has pointed to as early successes. It's been the conference. The big one is the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. And that was a a big win and an early win and one that they could um, a win that they could get without having to expend maybe as much political capital as other major legislative. I was going to say, yeah, it's a win. It's a fairly easy win. Well, it, it, it is an easy win if you think that changing the entire rules of the Senate and the fabric of how things are done there as easy. It was not. It was pretty it easy. It was not a hard lift. It is the ripples from it are going to be felt for a very long time. Sure. It's they. Yes, they got a win. They changed the way the Senate worked to do it. Yeah. Well, but easily. I, I, but I, I don't. Guess. I don't remember much of a fight there. No. So, like, you know. Um. So, I mean, how, are Democrats going to, I mean, can they do anything about this whole rush through of the judicial nominees? It doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of teeth these days. There's not a whole lot they can do, right. especially when a nominee comes from a state where there are two Republican senators. Mm-hmm. There's this whole background process called the blue slip process where when a nominee comes forward, the Senate Judiciary Committee will not act on them until the two home state senators sign off on the nominee, essentially, and say oh, we're okay with it. So for states where there's one Democratic senator or two Democratic senators, depending on how Judiciary Chairman Grassley wants to handle it, that could be a way for Democrats to try and hold up nominees they don't like. 
but um, the the folks that Democrats are accusing Republicans of rushing on are D.C. court nominees. Mm. There is no D.C. senator. Of course. Well, isn't that something? Now that finally. So there uh, is no oppor- There would not be an opportunity to to have the blue slip process come into play. Although D.C.'s Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton has been vocal about. Mm-hmm anger at the White House for moving on D.C. nominees without consulting her, without even asking her or telling her that they're coming. But she can't because do she, anything. Because she has no power. Being vocal is all she has, unfortunately. That's not a knock on her. It's a knock on how our system of government is set up. Yeah, it's it's there's no. Oh, wow. It, look, option. I, I, I've been a resident of D.C. for the vast majority of my life. I grew up here. I've moved. I've lived here for the last four years again. It's has real consequences not having a vote. Uh, Zoe Tillman, you do great work at BuzzFeed News. Zoe Tillman, uh, T-I-L-L-M-A-N on Twitter. And just read her at BuzzFeed.com. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. First trip to the show. Hopefully it won't be your last. I hope so, too. No, at least you wait until Bill's clear. At least, at least that's a little I'm kidding. Thanks, Zoe. We'll be right back. Very, very quick break. Stay tuned. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show. Hang on, I'm tweeting something. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Hot off the Bill Press. Fabulous radio. Well, I gotta, I gotta tweet something. You also have... gotta speak. There's a mi- live microphone in I front of you. I can do both. I'm doing both. Clearly, you can. Aren't you guys co-hosts? I'm doing a great job. Can't no, no, I, I don't. I don't do the intros and extros. <laughs> extros. <laughs> that's, the that's intros and extros. That's no, what no, it is. That's a that's working man stuff. Howdy, folks. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. It is June 28th on a Wednesday, all day long. My name is Peter Ogburn. The voice you heard there was my co-host today, Jonathan Levy, sitting in studio with me. And we're joined by national correspondent for Yahoo News, Hunter Walker. Hunter, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. What a wild time to be working out of the White House. (laughs) Holy cow. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about with you. We're going to get into all of that. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Jamie Benson has some stories. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Wednesday morning. We kind of briefly hinted on this earlier in the show, but good to read the entire story here. David Fahrenholt, good friend of the show here, uh, reporter at the Washington Post, had uh, quite the run during the 2016 election and ended up winning a Pulitzer. As predicted by me, I should say. Anyway. And only you, Jamie. Only me. Only me. (laughs) Uh, No one else saw that coming. (laughs) Fahrenheit yesterday reporting on um, a fake Time magazine cover that's hanging in at least two of Donald Trump's golf clubs in the United States, probably two overseas as well. The cover is dated on March 1st, 2009, 
Uh, it has a picture of Donald Trump with the text, Donald Trump, The Apprentice is a television smash. Time Magazine has come out publicly and said that was never a Time <laughs> cover. <laughs> now, what makes it particularly problematic is there are real magazine covers next to it yeah. on the walls in these golf clubs. Yeah. So this is literally the definition of fake news. It might be one thing if they were all fake, right? Just vanity covers for Donald Trump to look at. This is entirely fake. Time Magazine has asked Donald Trump to take it down. So someone, this is my favorite story in the entire world right now. because It's I, amazing. It, it sums up who this man is so neatly in the, you know, vanity sloppiness and just utter unnecessary garbage. Someone even in creating this put on a fake barcode <laughs> that is a barcode for like a magician's school. It directs it's, to a course to teach yourself how to do karaoke. The, the, oh, karaoke, not yes. magic. Sorry. Yes. I mean, when I do karaoke, it is magic. Fake news. It's, uh, but I mean, the, this man has destroyed the English language where he has created fake news to mean things he doesn't like, where he actually, and he actually hangs actual fake news on his walls. But what's what's so crazy about this, as you pointed out off air, Jonathan, is he's been on the cover of Time Magazine plenty of times. 14 times or something like that. I think this might have predated it. Also, the okay. headline and subheads there were uniquely positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it basically, as Fahrenheit wrote, created the impression that even when he was a reality star, this was a man on the make and destined for bigger things. His his first Time cover was in the 80s, I believe, actually. But, so, like, this, this was a 2009 mock-up. What's really interesting about this for me is it's further evidence of President Trump's love-hate relationship with the media. Yeah. I mean, countless reporters I know um, have stories of getting calls from him after going on cable that, you know, continue to this day as he's in the White House. Um, A bunch of us, including myself, have gotten those um, emailed PDFs that his secretary used to send where he'd then write on PDFs of emails in Sharpie. Um, And he also, (laughs) as, as has been long documented, including this story, has sort of a preoccupation with old media brands, like yeah. specifically mm-hmm. yes. Time and the New York Times. And I can tell you, going in the West Wing inside the upper press offices where Sean Spicer and the other staffers are, I always see huge stacks of Time magazine that are being wow. delivered throughout the West Wing. Maybe the only people who are still buying actual physical copies yeah, yeah, of it, Time it's magazine. It's Donald Trump and your doctor. The only president who will actually pick a fight with Graydon Carter. Uh, All right, more with Hunter Walker, me, and Jonathan Levy. Just a very, very, very brief break. Sorry, Jamie, just one story for full court this hour. Uh, We'll be right back. Stay tuned. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, so very much for tuning in today. What the hell just happened? On a wi- All right. For those of you who are news junkies online uh, and like to use Twitter, do you know Marty? Yeah. Yeah. So Hunter has... You, you've corresponded with Marty several times. For many years, yes. I've tried to get Marty to come... You know Marty, right? Yeah, you know I have strong feelings about this. You got strong feelings about Marty. Uh, I've tried to get Marty to come on the show, but he won't come on the show. So, anyway, we just took a a screen grab from Marty. We're going to send him a little little note to Marty Rudolph. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm posting it as we speak. Yeah. Our, our, you might call it our love letter to it's Twitter's a love letter. number one news junkie. Yeah, he's a number one news junkie online. online. But did Hunter just take a picture of Jonathan's head? No, he did. No, that he was, was a, called a selfie. Yeah, Jamie. It's a, yeah, it's like oh. a picture of your face. I thought you were people, zooming in on Jonathan's people head. People call them selfies. I was very confused. People so call them selfies. It's a hot it's like thing a, with the young set. It's you like wouldn't a know about of your it. Face. <laughs> yeah. Wait till he finds out about Is that Snapchat. Snapchat? Yeah. Oh, you heard about go. Snapchat? You hear about this? Synergy. There we go. Do you still use Snapchat? No. I don't use Snapchat. Occasionally, anymore. actually. Neither do I. I'm too old to use Snapchat. I downloaded it, and the app store was like gave me a whole thing that said you're not allowed to download. <laughs> right, right, and right. I was like, and I looked at, I was like, do I have too much space? I'm like, no, you're 37. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they did a reverse age there. Yeah, yeah, you must be, you must be 13 and under. Yeah, right, to use right, this yeah. App. You cannot have it. Uh, all right, so Hunter Walker is joining us from Yahoo News. Hunter, uh, God, there's so much I want to talk to you about. I want to start first of all with. Um, the White House yesterday, there was a there was a bit of a kerfuffle between Sarah Huckabee Sanders and a reporter named Brian Karam, who is with Playboy, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he? Reporter Playboy for- and I believe the Montgomery County Sentinel. He's a, he's That's a, a local hell of a resume. I, I didn't know he was with Playboy. County. I didn't. Yeah, play, he he works with Playboy. Playboy tweeted out a thing that was like, yeah, that's right, that's our Brian Karam. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which. You He's know. also your Brian Karam. My Brian uh, Moco, yeah. It's Cosmo and, and Playboy making uh, and Teen Vogue political headlines. <laughs> they really, Teen Vogue, yeah. They're really making things happen. Uh, so Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I wanna, this is the clip I played earlier, Jamie, about with the, the slightest mistake from the White House, and everybody jumps on them. Here she goes. If we make the slightest mistake, the slightest word is off, it is uh, just an absolute tirade from a lot of people in this room. But news outlets get to go on day after day and cite unnamed sources, use uh, stories without sources. Well, Brian Karam says, well, allow me to retort. You're inflaming everybody right here and right now with those words. You, you, this administration has done that as well. Why in the name of heavens, any one of us, right, are replaceable. And any one of us, if we don't get it right, the audience has the opportunity to turn the channel or not read us. I think I you think, have been elected to serve for four years at least. There's no option other than that. We're I here think, to ask you questions. Right. We're here to provide the answers. And what you just did is inflammatory to people all over the country who look at it and say, see, once again, the president is right and everybody else out here is fake media. And everybody in this room is only trying to do their job. Tell me what's false. I mean, tell me what's false. It is a it, it was a strong statement, I think. Uh, and Hunter, you're in the White House, uh, covering the White House. Was he out of line at all? I mean, that's let's, a tough question to put you. In. It's a tough question to throw to you. I understand, but but you know, he's going to throw there, it to you anyway. An allegation that uh, we're getting from the White House press shop that part of the reason they've taken the briefings off camera, which is I, I just did a story today documenting um, changes to the briefing and the fact that. President Trump has avoided news conferences more than personal news conferences, more than any president since Reagan, at least, which I think is actually more important than changes to the briefing. Mm-hmm. But but part of their supposed rationale for avoiding the press is that, you know, reporters want to be, quote unquote, YouTube stars. Yeah. And and too many of us are, you know, using the briefing as a moment to grandstand, you know. What I would say, I'm, I'm going to just speak for me personally. Sure. You know, the briefing is not about me. Mm-hmm. My, my job is not really about me. It is my job to tell people what the White House is saying 
and it is my job to ask the toughest questions I possibly can each day that I'm there. So that's what I do. And this White House has not really um, understood or accepted that time-honored role of the free press in this society. What we've seen them do is um, shut out the press. Again, um, if you look at my latest story, Trump has done one full-length news conference since February. Actually, one full-length news conference since taking office. By this point, Obama had done seven. Do you and remember Reagan, that thing? Do you Reagan, remember that, that news was conference, his, by That the way? was his uh, combative, kind of no-holds-barred, just yelling at people. Right. Reagan had done three, mm-hmm. right? And he got shot during the same period of time. So literally while being shot, Reagan stood up for more news conferences than Trump has. (laughs) George H.W. Bush actually loved news conferences. His stats blow away all the other presidents, and he only had one term. All the other, you know, recent presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got these stats from Martha Joint Kumar and Mark Knoller, who are two sort of very respected veterans in the White House press corps. Martha's actually a scholar, but she's written extensively on the White House press shop. And she also told me that this avoidance of the briefing is unprecedented. And what you're seeing is Sarah Huckabee Sanders and other White House staff stand up and say they have to shut out our questions because we're fake news. And this Russia thing is a quote unquote hoax. And, you know, it's it's really it seems like they're afraid of facing difficult questions. That's what it seems like. That That is what it seems like, because they they haven't quite figured out their power in having those press conferences. Right. Like if you work it correctly and you know what you're doing, it could really be a strong weapon in your arsenal to help message your administration. The, the problem they have here is that they can't spin this stuff. That's fair. They they are facing some of the most indefensible things. They don't come from a point of political ideology. They don't have that dogma to fall back on and say, look, we are going back towards this conservative history of X when we do this. They are literally just parrying off these insane things that they have done and either saying it's not true or I've never talked to the president about it. They don't have a plan to play here. How do you defend the broken campaign promises. And let's roll some of these out, right? Yeah. The cuts to Medicaid, the for conservatives who should be pretty angry about this, the complete lack of a repeal on Obamacare. Fake news. The foreign uh, military of intervention in Syria. Lying media. Um, God, I'm like, I'm like, it's a long list of broken campaign promises. And then also, you know, the basic issues with governance. I mean, the slow pace of appointments, um, typos being tweeted out and left up, things just seeming crazily mismanaged with that confefe moment. Um, like that to me I it was, is so amazing because he clearly screwed up and tweeted Kofefe. Right. Right. And then Sean Spicer told me a small group of people know what he was saying. Yeah, right. yeah you were the guy that asked the, the question. You, so yeah. I read that exchange before I heard mm-hmm. that exchange. And I thought, you know what, why are people getting so bent out of shape? Sean Spicer was making a joke. And I listened to the audio. <laughs> I don't think he was making a joke. He was not, he was making, not the making the joke. joke. He wasn't and, making and the joke. And that's why it's important for briefings to be on camera, yes. which they're not doing. So, so we get back to defending the indefensible, but also let's get back to Russia, because that's actually what was at the root of this exchange with Brian Karam from Playboy. What we saw was Sarah Huckabee Sanders come out, and she took the first question from Breitbart. 
uh, which I, I'm not sure that's ever happened in the history of the White House mm-hmm. briefing. I mean, typically those first questions go to large mainstream objective outlets. Now, I will say Breitbart's White House reporter, Charlie Spearing, is a pretty fair and good guy. He he did sort of ask a fair question. He sure. asked about um, a lot of these, qualifiers these in that run up <laughs> resignations. No, no, I, I do think. Look, I do think he had a reasonable question. There was this issue with CNN um, having three staffers resign after they printed a story about Anthony Scaramucci, a mm. hedge fund guy who was one of Trump's, and that's another broken promise, by the way, drain the swamp when we've <laughs> right. seen all mm-hmm. of Wall Street flow into this administration, but that's another story. Um, so Scaramucci was a hedge funder who actually didn't make it into the White House, um, but he is a key Trump associate. so pissed. And there basically was a CNN story alleging that Congress is looking at Russia ties with his hedge fund. Now, here's what's interesting. Everyone is covering this as a retraction and saying that the story is completely wrong. That is not what happened here. CNN fired these three reporters because they did not follow proper editorial procedure. Mm -hmm. And they printed this story based on a single anonymous source, which a lot of news outlets do, and frankly, which the White House loves being, and which President Trump personally loves being, as they decry the use of anonymous sources when they don't like it. But anyway... Wait, is is he a hypocrite? (laughs) The, the guy who the guy who literally created a fake name to pretend to be his own publicist and doesn't like anonymous sources. After it. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, so basically, these reporters had to resign because CNN admitted when Scaramucci complained that they relied on a single anonymous source, and that's not their procedure. These guys did not follow proper internal guidelines for this stuff. It would have flown elsewhere, and it has not yet been proven wrong fully. So anyway. Breitbart asked the White House about this, uh, giving them sort of an opportunity to spike the football and take a victory lap in their ongoing war against the news media that has you know, raged since Trump was on the campaign trail. Um, and what you then saw was Sarah Huckabee Sanders pivot to uh, this James O'Keefe video, the yeah, latest yeah. Project Veritas James O'Keefe video. Uh, I cannot believe that that guy is still around. Well, I mean, he's a favorite of the administration. He's actually gotten money from groups tied to Donald Trump. Uh, but happy birthday to James O'Keefe, by the way, today. It's, it's his, his birthday. It's birthday. His birthday. Happy yeah. birthday, little guy. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> let's talk about James O'Keefe for a I'd second. I'd love to. These His stuff often does not deliver. These are misleadingly edited clips. Um, you know, he's he's literally faced criminal charges. I think he's been, I, I don't know what happened with that. You know, he, he lured a CNN reporter yeah. onto a boat in some very shady circumstances to try to set her up with, I think, sex toys or yeah. something yeah. like that. Yes. It was a crazy but, situation. But also, there was, there was something else with him in a congressional office, wasn't yeah. there? So, so this is a guy with a very dubious record. And and look, I mean... I, I think that's a very polite way of saying, <laughs> literally, he has never shown, been shown to be right or uncover anything real. Well, I'll, 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 give, I'll give you one. He did have a video a while ago, and I'm, I'm a former uh, New York local reporter, and he had a video that got to some corruption between the Albany legislature and unions, which, by the way, is like the ultimate fish in a barrel story. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, 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 was, it, it was all right. But in this case, his video was a CNN producer who, by the way, does not cover Russia mm. and does not cover politics going on in some context that is unclear. He was talking to someone who had a hidden camera and basically saying that um, the Russia story is BS, they're hyping it for ratings, and there has been no smoking gun yet. Now, 
I want to break this down a little bit because from the podium of the White House briefing room, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and this was before this exchange we just played, said, you know, I don't know whether this is accurate or not, but I encourage everyone to watch it. And that's almost a direct quote. And that's a stunning statement because, you know, I've interviewed former press secretaries who've said, you know, it's so important for the White House to maintain credibility and be, you know, this is the government. She's a public employee. But they, they don't. That is not their philosophy. They they do not have integrity. They do not maintain traditions. They shatter them everywhere right. that they go. So they're directing people to watch this video from a guy with a, a decidedly mixed track record, regardless of accuracy. But let's break it down because because you know even looking at the video itself, and and anyone can find this online. I have a lot of questions about it, and and the first is as with so many James O'Keefe videos, we are not clear of the context. Right. This this producer, frankly, appears to be clearly sloshed on the video. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking to someone. We don't know how this person identified themselves. We don't know if this guy is buttering up a source, which uh, I'll, I'll tell you a dirty little secret that happens in our trade. Yeah. Um, yeah, journalist drinkers. I, mm. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, the buttering up a source. Right, like, right. We don't know if he, you know, was trying to, let's say, seem like he was on someone's side who might be pro-administration, which would maybe make him prone. I, this is not how I operate, but it might make him prone to saying um, the you know Russia thing is BS, blah, 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 as he sort of tries to curry favor, yeah. right? But the headline out of this in conservative circles on the in the MAGA blogosphere, if you will. The MAGAsphere. The MAGAsphere, yes. Oh, let's coin I that. Think we Did we just, very good. Yeah, I think we just Hashtag MAGAsphere. Oh, my yeah. God. MAGAsphere. Okay. <laughs> MAGA or MAGA? MAGA. You got to say MAGA, MAGA. MAGA. MAGA-sphere. MAGA-sphere. You got to say it as hard as possible. MAGA. MAGA. Yeah. The MAGA-sphere. The MAGA-sphere. <laughs> so so in, in the MAGA-sphere, the headline... Good morning, fellow intellectuals. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the headline from this tiny little clip of a drunk person raging while holding a large soda fast food cup was that CNN producer says the Russia thing is... BS. And and he said it in actual non-radio friendly terms. Mm -hmm. But even watching the video, which again is seconds long, it's clear to me that that's not exactly what he said. What he said is there's no smoking gun yet. And here I am with no hidden camera on record. I'm about to lift the veil on the media conspiracy. (laughs) Get ready, Magosphere. There is no smoking gun yet yet on the Russia thing. There is no direct piece of evidence saying that Trump and his campaign personally worked with Russia on this hack. There are smoking guns about a lot of other people. Yeah. Inches away from the president. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Just this week, we learned that Paul Manafort took this Trump's former campaign manager, who Sean Spicer has claimed had a quote unquote limited role on the campaign he was managing. Sean, um, Paul Manafort took $17 million from a Ukrainian political party uh, tied to Russia. At, you know, in this same time period, Roger Stone, the first top Trump advisor, sort of the godfather of the Trump campaign, communicated with the Russian hacker. Right. So so these Roger things... Stone, who just came out yesterday and said he wants to testify publicly. Right. So oh, these boy. and I think he's going to next yeah. month. Uh, that'll certainly be must see C-SPAN. Oh, yeah. Um, but we've also seen President Trump encourage the hacking of these documents. The release all benefited Trump. And 17 intelligence agencies have concluded that Putin was directly responsible for the 
for the release. So I would not call that BS by any stretch. But yes, it's true. Any journalist will tell you that when it comes to seeing whether Donald Trump was personally involved in this, we don't have a smoking gun. But it is not, as the White House said, a quote unquote hoax. And they said that again yesterday. And it is not necessarily BS. There just is, as this producer was saying, no smoking gun. Well, this is this has been the stance of uh, of how they've responded to all this investigation. It's because the investigation isn't finished, they've been cleared. There is no wrongdoing because there have not been charges Just, they, yet. They keep pointing to officials like Jay Johnson and Comey who said that, you know, at the moment they left government, they were not aware of any evidence against Trump personally or any investigation into him personally. Now, first off, there's like 50 qualifiers there. Right, 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 They're yeah. aware of investigations into close associates. They're right. aware of evidence against close associates. And also, that's as of, you know, January. Right. That's that's time-limited statements. But I, I really want to be clear about this hoax thing, because I talked to Sarah about this the other day, and it was really stunning. It was another stunning part of that exchange with Brian Karam yesterday. Um, you know, we saw Trump tweet that... Um, the Russia thing was a quote unquote big dem hoax. And I asked about this in the briefing, even though the White House line is normally that the tweets speak for themselves. um, In this case, they sort of tacitly admitted that the tweet did not speak for itself. And and So they speak for themselves except for when they don't, don't. which is... Right. And and Sarah offered, offered a little bit of additional explanation there. And she said that, you know, the president, quote unquote, probably believes that Russia was behind the hack, which which, by the way, still goes against that report from all 17 American intelligence agencies, mm-hmm. which says that Russia was definitely behind the hack. So probably is doing a ton of work there. But let's let's jump away from that for a moment. It, so it she, also is doing a lot of work because he has said it could be a 400 pound New Jersey and in their basement or China, or something else. And then sometimes he says it's Russia. But, but, but let's let's give her this, right? She said the president probably mm. believes Russia was behind the hack. So so he's not saying the idea that Russia is a hoax. Mm. And this was actually a really interesting moment with me and her in the briefing because it was, in its own weird way, the first time the White House kind of weighed in on whether Russia intervened in the election last year. Again, which every American intelligence agency agrees happened. So she said the intervention itself is not what they think was a hoax. Russia probably did it. What they see as a hoax is what they described as an effort to delegitimize President Trump's win by talking about Russia. And she said, you know, when everybody agrees that this hack had no effect on the outcome. And that's a false statement right there, because this intelligence report that came out, uh, I believe, in December that I keep referencing from, again, all 17 U.S. intelligence agencies has language specifically saying they just looked at whether or not there was a hack whether or not Russia was behind it. And they concluded that, yes, this came from Russia. It was ordered by Putin himself at the Kremlin. They specifically said we did not get into whether this affected the outcome. Mm-hmm. And no one has said there's evidence. There's evidence Russia, you know, tried to mess with state election systems. But there's no credible evidence as of yet, again, that I'm aware of, that Russia did anything to tamper with voting machines, that Russia did anything that directly altered the outcome. But but no one has weighed in in any quantifiable way. And I don't know how you could about what effect this hack had on the outcome. Well, I mean, look, we are talking about 
an election where 130 million people voted. And the election and was... And only three to five million of those were illegal. Right, exactly. <laughs> but of, of that giant number, not large enough, but of that giant number, the outcome of this election hinged on about a flip of 70,000 votes in three key states. Right, while, How... while this Russian campaign that the intelligence community says was directed by Vladimir Putin mm-hmm. was leaking info damaging to Donald Trump's rivals. So uh, let's leave it to your listeners to decide whether or not that had any in- impact on the race. But the key thing is basically the White House, as of last week, said... All right, we don't think the hack was a hoax, quote unquote, probably, but we do think that this, you know, effort to delegitimize the president because of it is illegitimate. And then they cited false information by claiming that everybody agrees there was no effect on the outcome. But then, interestingly, this week, they sort of pivoted away from even that admission because you saw Sarah walk out yesterday and once again, in a completely unqualified way, call it a hoax. So it's almost like they are inconsistent this white house's press shop hmm. that sounds like fake news to me oh man uh, it, how do you how do you deal with that though as, as a reporter as a, as a principled reporter who sits in the room and is getting lied to i'll say it you don't have to but is getting lied to on a fairly regular basis how do you deal with that not well, personally me, professionally yeah right 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 <laughs> well no no hold hold on for a second i mean I personally do um, drink. Note. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I, I do, uh, in addition to drinking heavily, um, you know, I'm, I'm at least three sheets to the wind right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, where have it's, you been? It's eight thirty in the morning. You're not an animal. Of course you are. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, uh, seriously, I I do note when the information is false. I do, ju- just as you saw in that. You know, that's why I have so many qualifiers because when I describe any statement made. From the White House podium, I often have to say, but the intelligence community said this, but the evidence said this, mm. you know, but the CBO says this will cut insurance coverage. But despite what Kellyanne Conway said, these are clearly cuts to Medicare. So so we do have to, you know, be very on our fact checking reflex um, and call out when A, it's a broken campaign promise, B, when, you know, the expert analysis or the evidence contradicts what they're saying. Um, other than that, what I would say is, I, I you know, I view journalism, I try to take my own views out of it. I try to, I view it always as algebra, right? If you reduce it to a formula, you know what to print. Mm -hmm. And I really believe in the power of objective journalism because I think there's way too much commentary in this country, especially with the rise of both the blogosphere and the magosphere. And the magosphere. Yeah, please, yeah. right? We, I we think have... he's looking at us too, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I think so. No, no, but look, I mean, you guys, you guys, you guys do what you do thanks to a lot of raw information that you get from people who are putting that out there. 100%. And, and I really believe that this society needs that raw information yeah. to function. And a good that, point. that part of what has turned people off, media trust in the media is so low, is that um, we've seen so many places blend reporting raw information and commentary. I'm, I'm actually not looking at you guys. You guys clearly have a perspective in articulating yeah. that. But we do see a lot of people kind of disingenuously slant stuff while claiming to be quote unquote fair and balanced. And we see that on are, both sides. Are, are you specifically referencing a, a, a network? <laughs> I, I was indeed. I mean, you know, I think people were pointing out Fox News had no healthcare stories <laughs> on their website yesterday. I mean, this is the kind of is stuff. Is that true? 
Yeah, because of course. Wow. Not. Yeah, this because is the kind of not. stuff that erodes trust. And and but look, it does go on. Reporting on the, on... erodes trust. Oh, oh, not having it. Got well, it. no, no, just slanted reporting erodes yeah. trust. And it does exist. Look, it really does exist. So I really try to do unslanted um, reporting. And, you know, what I find alarming is this. As someone who's really making an effort to be objective and, again, to qualify the White House um when I think they're putting out something that is contradicted by mm. objective truths and expert analysis, but also to give them things like saying, as I just did on this broadcast, that there is no smoking gun yet on the Russia thing. Um, as someone who, yes, is trying to ask difficult questions, the toughest I can every day I'm there, but is also trying to be objective, I still see on Twitter, for example, uh, just yesterday I published that story that Trump has done less news conferences than any president in at least almost 20, 27, 30 years, and I'm seeing people just rant at me on Twitter. You know, you guys don't deserve to get to ask him questions, right? right? And, and we, we saw Gianforte's fundraising double after he body slammed a reporter. Yeah. Right, and it's, it's really troubling for me to see the society, you know, get so angry at the press and totally yeah. reject the notion of a free and objective press, which to me is so important to how our government functions. I mean, it's literally called the fourth estate, one of the, the bedrocks of government. And it, it is slightly the media's fault. Some outlets have eroded our trust. Sure. But also, I think people are forgetting basic News. civics. <laughs> That's right. We uh, we don't have time to get into too much of it. But I, I started watching, I didn't finish it last night, the uh, the Gawker documentary, that Nobody Speak, which I know Jamie saw. Uh, it's great. I, I really, I'm like halfway through it. You should watch it. It's I'm, gonna, I'm like dying to finish it. But it's very, very good. Uh, we have to we have to go to a break here in just a moment. But before we do, we've got like two minutes. Hunter, I have to ask you the biggest story of the day, which we have not talked about. Uh, the New York basketball Knicks <laughs> plan to cut ties with Phil Jackson today. Oh, great. I can leave for this segment. <laughs> this is very quick sports talk. Uh, good or bad idea? I am from Brooklyn. Yeah. I have written uh -huh. extensively about how I long ago gave up on the Knicks oh. and switched to becoming a Brooklyn Nets fan. Did you really? really? Okay, and, all right. And this is partially because I realized that every good basketball memory, the Ewing years I had in childhood, came pre James Dolan. And the last straw for me was reaching that James Dolan, re realizing James Dolan as a blues band. And yeah. I actually personally talked to Patrick Ewing. And John Starks about my decision to give up on the Knicks. The final straws were how they treated Ewing, a barrage of anti-Semitic comments from the players, and Dolan's blues band. And, you know, both of them personally blessed my decision. And I would say, Knicks fans, you're in an abusive relationship. <laughs> Phil Jackson is one of your problems. Your owner is a crazed man-child. He is essentially Trump. James Dolan is essentially Trump. Yeah. James Dolan is a lunatic. Come on over to the other side. Join the Nets. There is a better way. Hunter, I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, are the Nets going to be very bad again this year so that we have a high pick in the draft next year? You know, look, that that decision Billy King made wrecked the Nets for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But I actually don't think it was the worst thing in the world. I have, like, great memories of the Paul Pierce-Kevin Garnett run sure. with the Nets. It's the best basketball we've had in New York since, yep. like, the year 2000. So thanks to them for bringing it. They did have to, you know, basically the Nets had a choice. Are we going to be immediately bad for a couple of years? Or are we going to kind of reverse mortgage and defer that for a moment? <laughs> so, so they were good for a second. We got to enjoy good basketball 
in New York finally. Now they're wandering through the wilderness. But unlike the Knicks, there's an expiration date on the Nets being bad. Yeah. I understand what they're doing. They're getting young guys. They're building a future. They're going to be out from under this bad deal. Whereas the Knicks are not getting rid of Dolan. Yeah. And they will always stink. They will always stink with James Dolan. Know this, Knicks fans. You're being lied to. Get free. Get woke. That is Hunter Walker from Yahoo News, national correspondent, to talk about all things White House, all things media, and all things basketball. Go Brooklyn. Go Brooklyn. All right. Thanks, Hunter. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a very, very quick break. We'll talk to Matt Fuller from uh, HuffPost on all things healthcare. In just a quick, quick moment, just a short break, and then me, John, uh, Peter Ogburn, Jonathan Levy, and Matt Fuller will be back to talk healthcare. Stay tuned. A lot of your Irish press watching us, they're just now leaving the room. <laughs> and, and where are you from? Go ahead. Come here. Come here. Where are you from? Should we have all of this beautiful Irish press. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from RTE News. RTE Katrina Perry. Katrina Perry. She has a nice smile on her face. So I bet you teach you well. <laughs> Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 38 minutes past the hour. Thank you so much for tuning in. By the way, if you can't watch the entire show, you can watch it all on our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And you can get our podcast. Uh, just go to iTunes or BillPressShow.com. Yesterday, uh, around this time, we had uh, Chris Novoselic from Nirvana. Right, right there in that chair. We were talking to him about gerrymandering and tax reform. Nirvana. Yeah, that's, a, that's <laughs> no. He's exact. the head of he's the head of Fair Vote, and he's actually a really big brain on this stuff. Uh, and I'm a big. I was a big Nirvana. Nirvana was a band in the '90s. Jamie. Jamie's a young guy. He doesn't. He's not. Jamie's not paying attention. He's completely clocked. He is, ja- Jamie is nothing if not the most attentive uh, producer, <laughs> right? I've ever seen. Right. Isn't that right, Jamie? <laughs> and if you were watching the live stream of the Bill Press <laughs> Show right now. <laughs> We're having a basketball shop talk. Oh, oh okay, good, 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 good. I was talking about Chris uh, Novoselic. I was explaining Nirvana was a band. Oh in yeah, the it was 90s. a blast. That was you fun. Might, you might have. You, you, did you ever listen to Nirvana? You don't. That was before uh, your time. Who was that? What are they? Yeah, it's What's a band. Nirvana. I listened to a bunch a, of Nirvana. It's yesterday. a rapper. Yeah. It's a rapper. Nirvana. Yes. Mm. Yes. MC Nirvana. Mm. Right. Uh, anyway, you could go I just watch. Got you angry could, at you. You could go watch that video or listen to the podcast. Make sure you do that. Check uh, out Peter's Instagram picture of the handshake. It's I, my favorite. I don't make fun of me. I, <laughs> by the doing? way, how often? I never, ever, ever geek out about guests. I never geek That's out true. about guests. No offense. <laughs> whatever. Whatever YouTube. I'm going to post an Instagram of Matt Fuller. Yeah. yeah. But I de- I geeked just out. Here I lo- geeked looking out at Matt, like, who he hasn't I was even a bass in- player. I like I, I I tried to get my bass yeah, to you sound like. You haven't even it. introduced Matt as a guest this right now, and you're just like, I hate most people who sit across <laughs> from me. You know, folks. <laughs> folks. Let's get real here. Congressional reporter for Huff Post, Matt Fuller joins us in studio. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you? Uh, hey. <laughs> I want to talk about broken spirited. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about your bass sound. I know that you were uh, yeah, a little a slap. more treble on the bass, and you always played with a pick, right? That's how it goes. 
Uh, we're talking uh, about yes. Yeah, thank you. Sure, very much. Thank you. Perfect. Um, let's talk about healthcare. Shall we? <laughs> I, I mean, we can go Nirvana. I don't know. Whatever. Were you a Nirvana guy? Do you hear about Nirvana? I mean, I, you know, you hear about I, more I dabbled, more folks are hearing about dabbled. this. Dabbled went to, went to right. you know, went to some 90s concerts over the weekend. <laughs> 90s concerts over the weekend? It was a, like... I'm not sure what drugs were you taking to do that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like a uh, Blink-182, Smashing Pumpkins, Weezer uh, huh. cover God. band. Oh. oh. Uh, fun they, fun they, fact. They were, not, they were not touring, no. no. Although, I mean, they, I think all three, maybe Smashing Pumpkins doesn't. And Blink-182 is kind of, you know... There's still a thing, thing, I think. Amazingly, Blink-182 has emerged from the like the late 90s as the touchstone band that young kids are like, oh, yeah, I'm totally into that retro really stuff. Into I wasn't really into <laughs> well, Do you want to know... the worst of the genre. I was a big Blink-182 fan. Do you want to know what my first concert was? Ooh. Rafi. Uh, no, it's a good Green one. Day, Blink-182. <laughs> That's kind of close. This is a good one. Weezer, Tenacious D, and Jimmy Eat World. One concert. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. The first part of that sounds great. <laughs> I know. Jimmy World was the opener. In terms of a first concert, you could do worse, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Matt, your first concert was? Pretty sure it was a band called Pogo. You know Pogo? Mm. Don't know like Pogo. Wasn't, uh, oh, who's the guy? Oh, I'm thinking of Oingo Boingo, not Pogo. Pogo. <laughs> Pogo. Well, Oingo Boingo. Yeah, exactly. Pogo. On a Pogo stick, you go Oingo Boingo. Boingo. With That's Hope Solo. Yeah, with Hope Solo. Uh, Jonathan, your first concert was? R.E.M. Monster Tour. That's Ooh, a good wow. one. Yeah. Oh, it was a, it was a solid <laughs> one. That's a very good one. Um, one of my first albums, actually, my first CDs. Or maybe it was a cassette. I had Monster. Monster is. I That's mean, a good album. It's a great album. I have something to share. That, Rachel uh, is sitting right here. This is going to be depressing because she's the youngest <laughs> okay. person on, on the team. Her first, I'm sorry. Her first concert. <laughs> what? Justin Bieber. The Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, oh wow. We have a winner. <laughs> That's, That's a stinker. That, that is a. Is that better or worse than Third Eye Blind? Oh, so much worse. Much worse. worse. Not bad oh, at all. No, I don't think worse. it's even close. Yeah, Third Eye Blind was great. What? I will defend Third Eye Blind. You're thinking God. of 311 or Three Doors Down. You know, he's... Third Eye Blind <laughs> was actually fabulous. You know, he's like a crazy libertarian, like the, the, the lead singer of Third Eye Blind. Hate their music, never liked them. <laughs> <laughs> so much worse than Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> three Doors Down, Three Dog Night. You're such an what expert the other, in the genre 11? that you knew the you knew where he went. Oh yeah, off absolutely. The rails. absolutely. <laughs> I, I was a child of the '90s. I also just got a text from my mother who is listening to the show saying, Hi, "Dad remembers that concert well." It's true. <laughs> my father. This was my parents did an amazing thing for a 13 year old me. They took me and five of my friends, or my father took me and five of my friends for my 13th birthday present and party to the REM Monster Tour. Oh, that wow. is parental love. Dedication and probably a touch of stupidity. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So thank you all for joining the Bill Press Show for this incredibly <laughs> thank insightful. Thank you very much uh, for listening to all politics. songs considered. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I, I really do want to talk about this healthcare thing because it's a total. I mean, it's a total mess right now, but it's not beyond the the it's point salvageable. of no return. Yeah. Uh, Mitch McConnell yesterday's making the announcement they're not going to get this vote done this week, which is what his hope was. So. Where does it go from here, Matt? <sighs> That's the good question. Um, yeah, I mean, so McConnell's always had sort of a narrow pathway to doing this. Um, he's he got 52 Republicans. He needs 50 of them to vote for this thing. And really, uh, 
for a lot of senators, it's sort of against the interests of their state. You have the Medicaid expansion that's helped a number of states. So, uh, you know, senators have to vote against the interests of constituents. So that's always a problem. And then you also have senators who just fundamentally don't like the bill, either from the conservative side or the moderate side. Um, and it seems like he's lost more than three or four. But, he, I mean, right now I think the number maybe he has on board is around 40, right? And you're trying to get 50 of these guys, and you can only lose two again. Uh, you have two or three, depending on how you want to count, who have really, sort of, I think, solidly come out against this bill. So there's really no margin left. I mean, he's lost Susan Collins, he's lost Dean Heller, and Mike Lee right now is saying, uh, you know, this is not any good from the conservative side. They want a fuller repeal. They want uh, the, the protections for people with pre-existing conditions. They want those out. Um, so, it, you know, what the changes what conservatives want are not going to appease moderates at all. Right. And the changes that moderates want, which are, you know, putting back Medicaid funding and protecting a lot of those things that the conservatives want to get rid of, uh, you know, it's just a difficult path to cut a deal. And uh, I think John Cornyn had the quote of the day yesterday, which was something like, Every time a you know you get one bullfrog in the wheelbarrow, another one jumps out, and I you know, how folksy. Do, yeah, you can do it with a Texas charm, you know. <laughs> you know. Well, and and all of that is happening under the cloud of this being maybe the most unpopular piece of legislation I've ever seen. By the way, in my entire life. By the way, da, 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 breaking news: uh, <laughs> Jessica Taylor from NPR put out. I have to find out where this uh, the, uh, failing NPR pull, pull the from the failing fake news NPR. Put out a poll of the popularity of the Senate health care bill. It's a new post poll uh, that just came out post CBO. That is correct. It is. Uh, do you have the numbers in front of you? Seventeen percent. Seventeen percent. That is the approval rating for the Senate health care bill. Seventeen percent. What, what's amazing among Trump voters in this post poll? Trump voters. Trump voters. Keep or fix the ACA. Fifty three percent. That's unbelievable. Repeal. Forty percent. Unbelievable. Overall, 75% want to keep or fix the ACA. Oh, my God. In Tennessee, 62% say keep or fix the ACA. That's Wow. Bob Corker, who is up for election this year, is going to love that number. Yeah. Well, Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee has actual, you know, Obamacare has not been fantastic for people in Tennessee. So it's it's amazing to see that sort of number when, when, you know, the premiums they face there are significantly higher than what, you know, they at least thought. So... A lot of the, I mean, again, a lot of these states, it's, this is, Obamacare is one of those things that states have experienced unequally. If you live in the right state, it's been great for you. If to, you live in the wrong one. And, and a so, lot of that's so, been how governors have. Sure. I mean, the Medicaid expansion, for, mm-hmm. you know, if you chose not to expand Medicaid and just take free money from the federal government, you know, what are we doing here? <laughs> Back to your point about, you know, you're not going to be able to make the moderates or vulnerable Republicans happy. You're not going to be able to make the, the hardliners happy. Um, I said the same thing, which people have pointed out, Jonathan, saying that that's exactly what people said about the House bill, and that got done. Paul Ryan yesterday speaking about this. Uh, Jamie, let's play that first clip. I would not bet against Mitch McConnell. Uh, he is very, very good at getting things done through the Senate, even with this, this razor-thin majority. Uh, and he goes on to say that the Senate will move on this bill one way or the other. Yeah. I don't know what day, but I have every expectation the Senate will move this bill, uh, and I assume this bill will have changes. You know why? Because we all made promises we would do that. Every Republican senator campaigned on repealing and replacing this law. And yet, they couldn't get the votes. How are they going to do it? When are they going to do it? And this idea that Mitch McConnell is like this sorcerer, right? That right, he, right. you know, because the guy knows what cloture means. Um, 
I, he's working with just really an almost impossible margin here. I mean, if you if you just did the like, let's take the math here. Uh, I think it'd be the equivalent of of Paul Ryan trying to get this through the House with about eight or nine votes, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got two votes that he can lose. That's just really no margin for him when you have you know Susan Collins, when you have Dean Heller, and you have Rand Paul screaming about it. You have Lisa Murkowski who has really specific state interests with Alaska. Again, this would be terrible for Alaska. Um, it's just it's almost an impossible task, and this idea that like you know I want I'm not betting against Mitch McConnell. If I'm mean, like if you if you bet against Mitch McConnell this week, you won. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See, yeah. I, I take a, a sort of differing view on this, and that is Mitch McConnell absolutely isn't a sorcerer, except for the magic he worked to remove his turtle shell, stand oh, upright, and run the U.S. Senate. But he he is the single most craven politician in our lifetime. He has shown an absolute willingness to disregard everything in return for victory. And that is a dangerous person to face. And yes, he does not have the margin for error that Paul Ryan has, even close. He, I mean, it it is almost impossible to see how uh, you get Collins or Heller to vote for this bill. So he's literally starting off with a margin of most likely one senator. That being said, if there is someone who can pull it off, this man he, you know, in the same way that Obama carved out the Cornhusker uh, kickback for yeah. Ben Nelson, there can be something given to Lisa Murkowski. The Alaska Purchase. Right. right. You know, re- <laughs> the Alaska Purchase. That's uh, not mine. That's, just we, we, we get it on, the, it on the queue. Take yeah. it. Take it. I did come up with the Tammany Hall and the Buffalo buyout. Those were both mine. But, <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Um, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it, there, there is he has now bought himself some time yeah. to actually cut some deals here. Um, that being said, all these folks are going to go home and get yelled at a lot. Right. And and so, you know, I think that everyone has been pretty cautious after seeing the House bill uh, that, you know, it, it sort of came back to life. And, and certainly Republicans themselves were a little bit more pessimistic about its chances. But I, I think it's a little bit different here. I just think that um, there are some senators who are, are not moving here. And no matter what Mitch McConnell does, he can twist arms. He can be craven. um you know, I, I think you nailed it. He doesn't have much of a policy or like ideology. He's just really his ideology is winning, which yeah. is sort of becoming the Republican mantra. But I think that's what makes him so dangerous. Sure. I mean, that's why he's successful. I mean, he's the Senate Majority Leader, and I'm sitting here, you know, with yeah. you guys. Yeah. And we're talking about the greatest honor Nirvana. there is. <laughs> I'm totally geeking out right now over our guest. Oh, over our guest. But but I just I I would just say that. The dynamics here are really difficult for McConnell, and no matter how much he arm twists, no matter how much Trump, you know, uh, says, you know, throws out tweets about Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or whatever the hell, um, it's an unpopular bill. The process was bad and, and sort of tainted people's minds on that, and it's not good for people's states. But wait, but tweet from Donald Trump this morning. Some of the fake news media likes to say that I am not totally engaged in healthcare. Wrong. I know the subject well, and I want victory for U.S. Yes. Is it us or U.S.? I haven't looked at the tweet. It is U.S. Okay. It is a U. Period. S. Which is actual punctuation. So that's surprising. Which means he's probably meant us. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not AP style. Right. Right. Exactly. So doesn't this open up uh, the opportunity for if he ever gets in front of a reporter again for them to ask him uh, some serious questions about healthcare? I mean, how many weeks has it been since he's really been February since he had a press conference? So I mean, and 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 a press conference isn't going to be where it's. I mean, I would love for him to explain how. 
you know, it doesn't actually cut Medicaid. And we keep on hearing this from Republicans. It doesn't actually cut Medicaid, guys. And the CBO is like, oh, it's $772 billion. Yeah. It doesn't cut Medicaid. It just <laughs> takes away the money that Medicaid was going to get. How do you see that as yeah. a cut? See? Yeah. Um, so who, who By are... the way, I have to stop everything. Yep. Jamie, do we have a breaking news liner? Because I hate to interrupt the flow of the show, but <laughs> it things, are so happening. <laughs> things are happening at a rapid this pace. This is a Bill Press Show breaking news update. I Ooh. just got a booking pitch <laughs> to get on the show. That's industry lingo. They would like Let me, me guess. To, they would like me to book. Is it Martin Lawrence? Is not Martin Lawrence. Damn it. Although that's a good guess. Third eye blind. Third eye blind. It's not third eye blind. That's another uh, very good guess. Newt Gingrich. <gasps> the yes. answer is yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. He has a new book <laughs> called Understanding Trump with a foreword by Eric Trump. <laughs> he's the one that his entire head is the same color. Nosferatu. Yeah, he's, yes. the, he's the, uh, he's the uh, Nazi vampire. That's the one. Are they going to like listen to any of this and be like, maybe we shouldn't put Newt in front of them? Or I am arranging a radio tour for Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House and 2012 presidential candidate. He's a Fox News contributor, author of 34, 34 books. Oh, yeah. Including 14 Each New York one Times. better than the last. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Uh, they would like to know if we would want him on Friday's show. Yes. We'd yeah. have to do a phoner. With Oh, a phoner. Oh, You'd have to do a phoner. I... I'd maybe bre- I'd maybe break protocol and do a phone with Newt Gingrich. <laughs> you say no to that? I can, I gotta do it right. Oh, without question. We will crowdsource questions for Newt Gingrich at BP Show. If you think we should ask Newt the, the, uh, a question, let us know what they are. Thing is, though, he, he's he's understanding Trump is a lot about. Um, not that I've read the book, but I did go to his heritage event, which rolled it out, and it was just like bashing the media, right? Yeah, it's of like, course. So he's, that's, he's that's gonna a pretty use clear you. window into understanding the truth. Right. He's going to, like, Tucker Carlson you here and be like, oh. you know, you're asking me these unfair questions. I don't have a Newt Gingrich impression. You it might sure not. don't. You got to work, <laughs> work. No, you got to work on your Newt. Yeah. You got well, you got good impressions for people. Uh, not Newt. But he's going to use this never occasion. Newt. Every every never hard. Newt. Never Newt. Never Newt. Every hard question Submit you Submit your use. questions for Newt Gingrich to the Bill Press Show at <laughs> hashtag never Newt. Never Newt. Yeah. Sometimes Newt, apparently, on Friday. They have Newt. Fridays with Newt. <laughs> yeah. By the way, okay. the chat room is not taking it well. Of course they're not. And they, sh- I mean, look, it's wow. Th- I can't read that name that they called him on air. That's the first one I saw. That's terrible. <laughs> Was it Newt? <laughs> <laughs> His parents pretty, pretty well roasted him. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Came out Newt. <laughs> um, all right, so back to the health care bill. Yeah. Uh, the current health care bill, you wrote a piece, the current health care bill is uh, is having a lot of problems. The Freedom Caucus chair, Mark Meadows, who was at the center of figuring out how they redid the House bill, even he came out and said that the Freedom Caucus, most House conservatives, would reject this this bill, which I think is part of the reason why you're seeing Ted Cruz and his boyfriend Mike Lee sort of have this no. Right, and, right and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not even sure how much... This is them posturing to say, you, you know, you basically need to give in to Cruz and Lee's position and how much of this is actually, no, we will stand and, you know, we will fight this bill. Um, obviously, it's a problem if the, you know, the Senate were to pass this and then um, the House conservatives are saying, you know, we're not going to do it. And there's this like stage of disagreement. They have to go to conference or something. Or uh, I've always thought that they would sort of just take the Senate bill and, again, try to shove it down the House's throat. But if... I mean, the Freedom Caucus is the only group that you can say um, they actually stand to their 
you know, the the, the promise of we're going to vote no. Right. Moderates all said they, we're they, have, no they have principles. They're evil, vicious, horrendous, <laughs> based in absolute immoral uh, immorality principles. But they are principles. Yeah. I mean, uh, of all the things, you know, we were talking about Mitch McConnell and there's really no ideology there. It's sort of the the opposite. Right. They they are still ideologues. And mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell's a partisan. And you can kind of choose your poison there. <laughs> so, so who are who are the key swing votes in the Senate that people should be watching? Sure. I mean, uh, obviously, Heller and Collins still are in the game here a little bit. I just I, I don't know if um, if McConnell can really get them. Rand Paul is obviously the other on the conservative side. He seems like from the beginning, I thought it would be Collins and Rand. If this were going to pass, you have to get everyone but those two. Uh, Rand Paul still seems like he could be gettable. Um, and then with the conservatives there, you have Mike Lee and Ted Cruz who are still negotiating. They They all want a little bit of the same thing. I think Rand Paul's demands are maybe a little bit more extreme. He kind of just wants more of Obamacare repealed. But um, Cruz has specific asks at this point, which would just, you know, again, they would just undermine the protections for people with pre-existing conditions by allowing insurers to um, offer plans that don't conform to the Obamacare regulations, which one of which is, you know, that you don't charge sick people more, right? And there's other portions of the regulations there too. But um, do you think there's any chance, though, that Ted Cruz at the end of the day is going to, to be one of the people who stands up to Trump, stand, yeah. who stops Obamacare from being? Repealed? So I, I, you know, I, that's a I've thought this all along. Will he be the third vote? No. Okay. Will he be the if Mike Lee is not there, if Rand's not there, and it's just sort of, you know, he's one of eight guys. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy that he could be there, and and and, and, and you know, it's a it's a there's a political choice here too. Obviously, he's up for reelection in 2018. Um, he needs the Republican base. He's not been great at standing up to Trump, so we'll see. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he says no if he's not the third vote. We won't see it this week, but we will see it eventually, the vote on health care. Uh, thanks to Matt Fuller from HuffPost for joining us. Thanks to Jonathan Levy for sitting in with me while I host the show today. And thank you for listening and watching. Make sure you go get the podcast. Check out our page, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show.